Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. We are meeting on a Sunday afternoon uh, following the Hawks matinee win over the Indiana Pacers. What were your initial takeaways from this game? Uh, a good win and the Porter win. Um, you always want to talk about Goodwin. Why? I know. It's it's just <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. Um, an important win, um, but they the defense was was a little shaky across the day. Um, but we can get into that later on. But the offense was really good. Um, and of course, Capella was uh, a monster uh, today. And I thought Capella was the player that probably had the biggest impact uh, on the game. Um, but it, we're at that point, 15 games left, tight right in the middle of the Eastern Conference playoff seating. Um, and, you know, this was not an automatic win, in my opinion. The Pacers are a professional team, a really professional team. Yeah, they uh, had he, Miles Turner back. Yeah, he didn't look like he was feeling great, but – Right, sure. It feels like there's a lot of that in the league right now. So, <laughs> you know, that's just part of this season, I think. But, uh, right. you know, but, um, you know, the Pacers are a super physical team, and the Hawks, I think, did well to hang in there and put up the number of points that they did. And I think that it, if you even if – especially if you hear Nate talk about it, this physicality is what the team has to acclimate to between now and when – the postseason arrives. So to see them go up against one of the more physical teams in the league and have a really good offensive output is, uh, you know, just one game, but I think it's encouraging. Yeah, it definitely felt like the, uh, the offense was ahead of the defense in this one. It's, it's pretty scary to see the Hawks offense when they have sort of four starters going all at once. Uh, didn't, didn't leave didn't leave Indiana with a whole lot of options. Uh, It's not really unique to the Hawks, but, you know, it seemed to me like, uh, you know, Clint Capella was completely in his comfort zone because they kind of, you know, switched things up and they let Capella guard Sabonis and just, uh, it just worked really well. Like he just didn't care about anything beyond a certain distance and just kind of, stayed in the paint, ready to erase mistakes. I mean, the, the game was night and day when Capella was in because overall I thought the Hawks played pretty poor defensively, but the difference having Capella near the rim to just erase mistake after mistake was crucial. Yeah, it's one of those funny things, and I, I imagine we'll talk a little bit more about Collins' return, but when you get a guy back like that, one thing it does is it resituates the rotation and the first and second unit makeup. And I, I thought that um, they were just a little unorganized or just were in rhythm defensively because Solo got bumped to the bench. And Solo, um, you know, is – I've used the word organizer kind of all year long. And, and while he's not a great rebounder, not going to give you really any rim protection at the four, um, he helps them get kind of scheme organized, I think, you know, especially four, three, two kind of – at those positions yep. um, and Co- Collins was just a little bit behind everybody else uh, to start the game defensively. I don't think he was making bad plays. I think it's to completely be expected that he just wasn't quite in rhythm with the rest of the group that's been playing together for the last few weeks. 
And I thought one of the major impacts to why the defense was uh, a struggle today was just getting John reacclimated to that starting group and then getting Solo reacclimated to playing more so with the second group. And I don't love the Solo and a Kongu uh, kind of four or five pairing. It's not, not <laughs> right. no size there. Um, I, the one big question I have about a Kongu right now, and it's just a question, is is how much um, he can um, uh, kind of take primary ownership of rebounding, especially defensively. Uh, and so going with your smallest power forward, pairing up with a Kongu, I thought was a struggle, especially today, as big as the Pacers can can, can play at times. So I, I, that's not a criticism of how any of it was managed today. I think when you bring John back, you're going to have to just reshuffle things and kind of sort things out on the fly and let players get reacclimated to the lineups they typically play in. So today was just an, an adjustment period, but they found a way to win the game. And I think that's good that they were able to have the repetitions that they needed to have today to kind of get the, them ready to play with JC back and got the win. So I think that's, that's positive, even if the defense was kind of ugly today. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the Solomon Hill thing. I thought it was interesting, sort of the fourth quarter big rotation. If, if I'm not mistaken, they sort of excised Okongwu's minutes entirely. But I thought it, it gave them some stabilization to start the fourth quarter with Clint Capella and some of the bench guys. Uh, then they went back to John Collins in the middle of the quarter as, as sort of a center. And he was on restricted minutes today. I think McMillan said after the game that it was like 16 to 20. I think he ended up playing 21. Uh, and then late, uh, and, I, and I'm curious, you know, if I, I sort of deep down in my gut, I kind of think that, that McMillan might be happy with this. Uh, I think he may just kind of keep going with sort of Solomon Hill and Capella together for like, you know, the last three minutes of a game, which is what I think they did today. Yeah, it, that could be the case, especially against a team that plays a ton of four out, if not five out, like the Pacers did today. I mean, basically, you need uh, a power forward that is essentially can be a wing defender just because of the style of offense that the Pacers were playing. They pulled Turner and Sabonis kind of up on the four a lot, love to clear out the baseline side and use cutters and dribble the ball to kind of down to that space as well take advantage of your bigs being above the free throw line. And so if you get one more defender that can kind of move with the ball handler, um, like, like Solo is going to do that better than a, you know, any big, just um, just by the factor that he doesn't have so much size to move around and things like that, that that's, that's workable. I, but I also think it was a factor of, you know, Capella came back to start the fourth and then Collins came back and I think played about a minute with, or so with Capella before Capella went out for his final break. And I thought that the primary decision there was just that he, uh, Nate wanted Capella or Collins at the five for the whole fourth quarter to not bring Okongwu kind of back into that, to that role. And it's not that I think that Okongwu was bad today. Um, I just think that there was, they were throwing a lot at the Hawks defensively and that they were just going to be a little bit more steady having Capella and JC, um, you know, at the five for the whole fourth quarter. And it, that worked out, um, I think, well, and was a pretty big factor in, in terms of the Hawks getting control uh, as the fourth quarter went on. Yeah, and I think it helps with, like you mentioned earlier, with the rebounding. It, it felt like they had a huge 
especially in Capella's minutes, they had a huge edge on the glass. There was <laughs> I enjoyed this a bonus tip in on a tray free throw late in the game. It was like he heard the footsteps. There were no footsteps. There was nobody around him. He just tipped in Trey's missed free throw because instead of trying to grab the rebound, he was kind of preoccupied with just trying to tip it to a position where he thought he could get it and then just put it in the basket. Yeah, my, I mean, that was funny to watch, especially if you're rooting for the Hawks during the game. But my guess is they were down enough and not much time left on the clock. He was just trying to kind of collect the ball and get going up the court as quickly as he could. Even though if you really think about it, it makes no sense because the clock wasn't going to start until he touched the ball. <laughs> Anyways, he couldn't let the ball fall on the court and gotten it. But that doesn't mean his instincts weren't sped up in that situation. But um, it can happen to anybody. Oh, I'm sure he was a little bit paranoid because he was getting just bullied. <laughs> sure. Um, you mentioned baseline cuts. Uh, how about Lou Williams? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I looked it up, and uh, I still believe that they, the trade was the right move and that Luke's still going to help them. But the last two games, I think minus 42. Um, so the the last two Sunday day games has looked rough. Maybe that's just a older vet thing, not right. kind of able to get things warmed up and going as early in the day. Uh, that's um, not too shocking if that's the case. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, it was today was pretty rough for Lou. Um, I still think they play a little bit more steady in general with just the veteran kind of presence on the court. He he knows where to be, where to go. So even if the shot's not falling, and even if he's not creating as much impact, I think you still kind of get guys to play a little bit more calm in his minutes. Um, but it, the last few games for Lou have been rough. There was a fair amount of Trey and Lou together. Is, is that fair to say? It yeah, seemed but, like there was almost a little bit too much of that. I, I don't know. It just what do you what do you make of those minutes? Yeah, I just think they're um, you know which way do you go there? I mean, do you her her was obviously really good today uh, shooting the ball especially, um, but the Pacers defense was really trying to get very physical with Trey, especially the second half. They're right. using. McConnell to try to create um, turnovers. Uh, he's top two or three in the league in stills, even though he's not a starter, something right. like that. And that was that was really big because you, you watch most of the game and you're like, how are the Pacers in this? But the Pacers, you know, they got a lot of I, – I don't want to call them junk, but they just got baskets that were just so easy because they were forcing live ball turnovers as well as they were. And they, they do that. Like that's one of the things that they're the best in the league at. Absolutely. So it felt like the Hawks' transi- transition defense was also kind of poor. It was bad, yeah. And then some of that was um, – the, the Pacers will bait you into taking some bad jump shots, and uh, and they they will run out with the ball on a long rebound as well as almost anybody in the league. Both of their bigs are, you know, fast and kind of nimble and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, but, no, I think I think the Trey Luminates weren't new. I mean, they've been doing a lot of that you know, since Lou arrived, basically. Um, I think that Nate probably feels like when it, it, you know, we didn't see the Pacers double Trey. And I'll I'll think that his thought process, the opposing team is much less likely to double Trey when Lou's on the court with him. 
even if the net result at the end of the game is not having seen Lou make an much of an individual impact, he still could be, you know, a factor in how that de-incentivizes the opposing team from throwing more attention possibly to Trey than they might otherwise if Lou were not on with Trey for some of those minutes. So that's the thought process. Does that go away if they get healthier? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to. Um, I, I think it'll if they get healthy again, it'll be a still be a nice option. Um, but you know, Bogdanovich has been playing solidly enough that um, you know it, wait, it's wait, wait. he's doing better than solid. Oh sure, <laughs> yeah. No, I I just I just mean in the sense of as oh, okay creator as a guy you can ride. I mean, I'm thinking more of the role of like, okay, you force the ball out of Trey's hands. Bogdanovich is completely reliable and able to kind of handle a massive workload. Um, I'm also trying to oversell, undersell his broader game, broader impact and things like that. But um, what, I'm, what I mean, mean is that, but, or to say it better, Bogdanovich is reliable enough as a second creator on the court I think Nate is not going to feel like he has to throw Lou out there to protect Trey from getting doubled or, you know, getting all that extra defensive attention. Now the trick is, and I think what's been happening is that when Bogdanovich is off, that tends to be when we see the Trey-Lou combination. Um, and that might still be a thing depending upon, you know, uh, how kind of Herder is going there. But, it, you know, when they get into the playoffs, Lou's played what? 50 playoff games in his career I'd have to look it up to be sure but you know that's you know better like especially experienced coaches with a lot of tenure are going to have a default um to kind of rely on their vets that have kind of been there before and so I still think we see a lot of Trey and Lou together um so long as Clint's they Clint's almost has to be at the back of the defense to kind of clean things up because that's not your <laughs> ideal defensive lineup but I think I think Trey McDonavich, and then if McDonavich is off and Trey is still on, Lou is still quite a likely candidate to be to be on in those situations. But it'll get interesting when we get to the playoffs and Nate cuts the rotation a little bit to see, you know, what that looks like. Yeah, I kind of think like my my gut is that it probably goes the other way. I, I think I think Lou's minutes are gonna go down. And, and especially the Trey Lou minutes will go down if, if the rest of the, you know, as some of the wings come back. Yeah, Hunter's the swing I, I guy think, there to me. I, yeah, Hunter, but I just think that they're going to split up Bogdanovich and Herder. Like right now they're playing together a lot just because they're the starters, because they're really the only two guys that should start. I just think that they'll, those two will get staggered more as secondary playmakers as other wings come back. You'll see more Snell, you'll see more Hunter. And I think that'll just split up Herder and Bogdanovich so that they don't feel like they need Lou as sort of the secondary playmaker. And obviously he's going to be the best secondary playmaker. I just think he takes enough things off the table that, that they're going to be hesitant to, to use that in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of why Herder's starting right now, I think is the defense because they want oh, Bogdanovich sure. on a bigger guy. Um, and Herder more on ball than Trey or Bogdanovich. And if Hunter comes back, you know, we'll see if the plan kind of was the same as it was earlier this year before the coaching change in that Hunter was the primary on ball, you know, almost the defective defensive point guard. 
um, you know, before the coaching change. So we'll see if that's still the strategy um, because if Hunter comes back, I think that pushes Herder to the bench. Um, and we'll kind of see how the rest of that shakes out, how that impacts lose minutes, um, how that impacts solos minutes. Uh, when everybody was for what it was like, felt like three games, maybe when kind of everybody was playing and solo was swung away from the four because JC was playing and Gallo and solo fell out of the rotation, you know, at that yeah. point and it didn't play until guys started going down with injuries again. So good. I mean, good problem to have, but uh, you know, we'll see if we get to the, when we get to the playoffs, if Nate has a little bit more preference to play as solo and Lou, because they've been there before and been in that environment before. Um, yeah. It, that'll be fascinating to see for sure. Yeah. I, I think I would actually suspect that solos minutes survive that a little better than Lou's. Like I, I can kind of see just for defense reasons that you would roll with, with Solomon Hill. I don't know. Yeah, and it could, I mean, even lose minutes right now with Trey could be the fact that Trey's not 100%, you know? Yeah, that's it. could be just that's that. That's a good point. So. But he looked a lot better today. Like, Oh, he looked rough against could, the Bucks. <laughs> yeah. Really rough. You could see the stop-start. Like, the, you know, he, he had his acceleration. He could decelerate and then accelerate. Like, he, there was one play where he, like, turned down a screen and started, you know, going away from the screen. And then he just stopped on a dime and came back and you and used the screen. But just the deceleration and acceleration that he had in that, in that kind of play, uh, you know, he, he didn't have that against Milwaukee. Yeah, he had, he looked like he shouldn't have been playing against Milwaukee, probably. I mean, and that, right. I don't want to play, I, I don't ever want to, you know, no. sound like I'm trying to, override what our medical professionals are <laughs> what the medical professionals are seeing and doing all that sort of stuff he just looked like it wasn't a great idea from my layman view on that um right. but i think you also have to let your you know franchise guy try to give it a go in, it, in, the, in the port game right. and so i you know you have to respect the effort at the same time so but it, yeah he looked so much better today um, just doing all the normal trade stuff. It looked like there was a lot off the table against the Bucks that he just wasn't willing to even try. Um, right. And, it, you know, honestly, first game back, you're still kind of feeling it out. So if today had been his first day back, you know, it probably wouldn't have been as bad as Milwaukee, but you just, you know, you get a chance to get your feet wet and get a feel for it. So, you know, playing against Milwaukee probably helped him today in conjunction, obviously, with the time off. But, you know, that, that first game back, and he, he's certainly, you know, all wrapped up. You see him come off the sideline. Uh, he's taking some heavy bandages and, and what looks like ice off. He, he's taking a lot, a big load off when he's coming back into the games. They're, they're definitely uh, trying to take care of him. Yeah, then that'll be interesting to see if he plays on Tuesday. Uh, I know we'll probably get to the week ahead, but... Um... No, let's do that now. We're, we're, I mean, the schedule's ridiculous. Like, the next two weeks, if you include today, it's nine games in 14 days. So it's, it's you know, it's ridiculous. Nine games in 14 days, it's... The thing. Yeah. It's like two games every three days for two solid weeks. Yeah, so they uh, have Orlando on Tuesday, and you don't want to take any game for granted at all this season. Um, you know, Steve Clifford teams always play hard, you know, for sure. Um, they're not 
they don't have a lot of like create offensive creators right now, so it shouldn't be the hardest defensive game um, in a while. And of course, everything that that team does on offense was built around Vooch before the trade, you know, and that's just not anything they have now. So I wouldn't be surprised since the Knicks, they have the Knicks on Wednesday and the Knicks are more than hanging around <laughs> in the middle of the Eastern Conference standings. Got a, a big win today over the Pelicans. Um, that's that's going to be an important game, especially keeping in mind that the Knicks have already clinched the tiebreaker um, with the Hawks. Um, so that, that could, you know, factor in on how the standings actually shake out at the very end. Um, but if if you if there are players that can only play one of the two, it seems like the default answer there is going to be um, to have them play on Wednesday. Um, although you don't want to take too much risk with the, the Tuesday game because that's one that you look at, and you say, don't want to take it for granted, but they should win that game pretty reliably. Um, the Knicks are are also kind of like the Pacers, one of the most physical teams in the league. And you know, for example, the idea of throwing Trey out there with um, you know muscle and soft tissue don't know everything he has going on there um but putting him out there on the second night of back-to-back against maybe the most physical team in the league is not exciting me (laughs) and (laughs) and i have no idea about gallo and i don't know what the what the outlook is for collins to play on back to back back games i can't think collins is going to probably play all nine of these um you know games in the short stretch but um that's where it's really nice to have a guy like Solo Hill can play the three or the four and, you know, just kind of jump in wherever there's a, a missing body. Um, and, you know, for example, against the Bucks, he was, for me, the only power forward they had. Against a team like the Bucks, feels like they play three power forwards on the court at all times. And, uh, and you know, they were right there, you know, at, at the end. And because they had a guy like Solo, Solo had a rough day today overall. But, uh, um but, yeah, it should, should win on Tuesday. Hopefully, guys that are not kind of a full go don't have to play on Tuesday, and they can kind of, you know, bring as much into the game on Wednesday. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's an obscene schedule. It's uh, Magic at home Tuesday, Knicks on the road Wednesday, Heat at home Friday after a day off, then uh, Sunday, Monday, back-to-back, uh, home against Milwaukee on the road against Detroit, and then Monday night, they'll fly to Philadelphia, presumably, where they get sort of a Philadelphia vacation. They get a day off, a Wednesday game in Philadelphia, and then another day off, and then another Friday road game in Philadelphia. So they'll probably spend, you know, four days and four nights in Philadelphia. And then when they're done with that, they come back instantly for the second half of a back-to-back Saturday, home against the Bulls. Uh, but, you know, three back-to-backs in two weeks – nine games in 14 days, you, you kind of have to figure that uh, that there's going to be some strategic resting. Uh, it's not the ideal time to try to be bringing players back from injury, but at the same time, like you mentioned with Solomon Hill, when he was pretty much the only power forward on the roster, that wasn't really a tenable situation. Uh, they're going to have a chance to not get him killed if they can keep John healthy. For sure, and they'll um, yeah, and they'll need everybody. And f- I mean, game in, game out. Like they, t- like today, you saw Kongu's minutes get sh- shortened in the second half. That's going to happen probably a lot in games that are tight. But they're going to need him to just get through this stretch of games and give themselves a chance to 
keep winning enough games to kind of stay in the mix, you know, towards the middle of the, of the Eastern Conference. So, um, you know, I know most fans are probably like, oh, I'm tired of seeing this guy, right? I want to see more of that guy. Well, you're going to get everything <laughs> in these next <laughs> tennis games. You're going to get to see a little bit of everything. So I, I enjoy – and I appreciate your joke to start us off. I enjoy when I get to watch Brandon Goodwin play. Uh, I'm going to get to see Brandon Goodwin play. <laughs> in the, you know, not every game, for sure, but there will be opportunities to kind of see what he can do. And, um, you know, this stretch where – Trey was out. He he helped them win a few games that they might you know, not have been able to win if they had a um, a lesser you know option kind of there at all. Especially a guy you can plug into the starting lineup and stuff like that. But you know you want to see more Nathan Knight for some crazy reason right now. You can probably get to see see some of that. So um, it, it'll be interesting. And uh, you know I think the Heat just pulled off a win over Brooklyn. So you know they're not falling back further and the Knicks keep winning the Hornets are finally knock on wood I, I don't really root against anybody but hopefully the the Hornets are going to um not um you know kind of create risk where they're gonna catch all the way back up to where these other teams are it'd be nice to get you know one more out of the mix if that's the case um but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how this goes and how Nate, Nate deals with it all but yeah I mean to me Really great to have JC back if I'm feeling greedy getting Gallo back just because of what he the offensive punch he gives them, especially working with Trey and a guy in some matches can defensively slide over to the five. And when when you feel like, hey, I don't really want to throw a Congo out there in the second half, Gallo can function defensively at the five and, and give you a little, you know, foul trouble protection, just give you some bridge minutes, you know, at that position. So um, great to have. JC back. Let's get Gallo back. I have no idea what to think of Hunter, so I'm just gonna um, not do too much with with thinking through what his status might actually be right now. It's hard to tell. Gallinari in the fourth quarters, in particular, has just been so steady. Like just, it, it almost feels like he was. It, now it sort of feels like Capella, but for a while it felt like, well, you know, what changed with regard to their fourth quarters this season, you know, from, from what happened before March. And it, it felt like really Gallinari was kind of the stabilizing influence. Like he was just so rock steady, uh, you know, on offense, he's, you know, he's, he's in actions with Trey and he's just pulling the defense up. There's just, it's a guarantee that something's going to be open. Like it's either Trey gets the single coverage that he wants or, you know, somebody's going to be able to cut because the, you know, you've got more than three people trying to defend that action. Uh, it's, it, it's just miserable. And then defensively, he's, he's pretty cagey. Like, I don't know. Like he, he, he just has that veteran sense of he, you know, his brain is faster than other people's brains. Like he's just getting to spots. Like he, he's, he's been slow for a very long time and, <laughs> it's you know when it comes to like rotations and things uh you know he's he's calculating them with with plenty of time to spare like it's like the impromptu stuff like a play in the open floor where it's just not really something that's what you'd expect i think it, it matters more but when it's just something that he, you know he's seen a hundred times you know he's scouted that he knows what's coming his way I mean, he he's just getting to the spots that he needs to get to yeah, and the, I mean, the reality is, um, and just, I mean, apart from the need just to have 
quality minutes at every position the whole game is that if you want to be viable in every game and then you get into a playoff series and you, you know, you want to be viable, obviously in every game, you know, when they're ahead, they can close with Capella and whichever power forward makes the most sense, depending on what the other team's throwing at you. You throw, the other team throws an additional ball handler out there, you know, maybe solo is your best option at the four, like we talked about earlier. Wait, but, in which situation? I, I misheard you. I couldn't. Like if you're, if you're ahead and the opposing mm-hmm. team puts an additional ball handler on the court and plays with, you know, two guards and two wings, you know, gotcha. solo might be a better option even than JC there. You're not so worried about rebounding, you know, against the opposing lineup that looks like that. Just as one example, mm-hmm. when you're down by like 10 points or so, three minutes to go or whatever, you may need to pull Capella off and put another shooter on. I put Gallo on, you know, and play him at the five with JC and give you more offensive firepower in terms of a guy that can knock down three point shots. And I know that I know a lot, I've heard from a lot of fans that are like, no, I want Capella on no matter what. It's like, you know, if you're down 10 points or so and you've got to really make up ground and kind of generate a lot of offense, you know, having that a three point shooter you can throw out there gives you that option. And there's just a lot of different ways you can tackle that. And if Hawks fans remember, I, I, what the way I've framed this might hurt you a little bit, Kevin, but hopefully it will be a, our friendship will be okay. But like, okay. if you think back to the Dwight season, when they were down in that series to Washington in by 10, 12 points and Bud would pull Dwight off, he would typically throw like Urson back on and play something like that. And how much of an upgrade. It was like the first time all season he used a switching defense. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, which he's done in Milwaukee too. But, um, right. but, um, but DeGallo was one of the, the premier shooters at his position in the league. And and he can do a lot more on offense than just captain shoot. He can create for you. He can run a pick and roll. He can work in the post, all that stuff. And so to have him as a guy that if you want to just throw a real offensive heavy lineup out in the game to try to make up ground when you're down, it just you can if you're ahead, you can close your defensive lineup or your balance lineup. If you're behind, you can get more shooting on the floor. You know, all that sort of stuff. And even Hunter gives you that flexibility, too, if he can get back in terms of playing at the three or the four, whatever that looks like. And so just getting those guys back that give the coaching staff um, kind of the opportunity to react to whatever situation presents itself during a game, playing ahead, playing from behind, or whatever that looks like, reacting to an adjustment to the other team's making. Um, that's one of the strengths of this roster when everybody's healthy is that they can almost kind of match up with any scenario and can kind of react to any situation as well. So Gallo is, I mean, I'm hoping that he's on his way back to being, you know, pretty reliably available because honestly he has so much to do with how I would look at them going into a playoff series, almost regardless of the matchup, you know, he's crucial, crucial there. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I can't disagree with that at all. Wait, what did you think my opinion on the Dwight season was? No, it was me throwing Urson out. It was me. Well, no, I mean it's <laughs> they, they they function similarly, but the, the the huge difference is that just like the volume of threes that they can get up. Urson's got. I mean, he's gotten better over the years, but he's got a very slow release. He doesn't get a high volume of shots up, and Gallinari is just, yeah, you know, just just flicking it like he 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 can get a ridiculous volume of threes even where the defender really doesn't even make a mistake and, he, and his release point i mean you just can't yeah. get to him no, nobody yeah, just, nobody can get to him 
And if I mean, they I'm, do, then he's going to try to use that as a weapon to try to draw fouls, which is probably another, uh, that's another thing that Arsan doesn't do. But even if there's a good closeout by a decent-sized defender, how many times have we seen a guy just, like, literally right in his face this year, and he still makes the shot as if the guy wasn't there at all? You know? right. so, and I, I, honestly, I think that's, you know, like I was trying to say before, you know, I think he's been the most stabilizing force for the Hawks in the fourth quarter. When you look at, you know, the ridiculous turnaround between, you know, what did they do, you know, before Nate took over and what have they done after Nate took over? You know, Gallinari has played more minutes in the fourth quarter than he did before by a substantial amount. And part of that was probably health, but his fourth quarter minutes have been just obscene. Like the, the, the data on, you know, what he's done uh, is, is kind of overwhelming. And I, you know, he's just a very good fit for Nate in terms of, you know, McMillan usually says, uh, you know, we want to go earlier, we want to go late, which is really code for uh, we're just going to slow everything way the hell down. And if you're going <laughs> to do that, five you, times a game. <laughs> yeah, and if you're going to do that, you got to have somebody who's who's uh, a good shot maker in the last five seconds of the shot clock, and that's what Gallinari could do. Like, if, literally, if you just get him the ball, there's probably a, a halfway decent shot waiting to be had just because of, of how he can get a shot off and you know, combining that with the free throw shooting, you know, he's either going to just shoot over you or he's going to lure you into a closeout and then maybe draw a foul. Yeah. And even some of the more deliberate stuff they run in the half quarter stuff for Gallo, they'll run like a cross screen and then lift the lift like Bogdanovich up through the free throw into the three point shot and then let Gallo settle into the. So, I mean, they, they run a lot of stuff that is just time consuming in general when Gallo's sure. out there. And when we, when we've seen Lou and Gallo play together, that that suits both of them well because they're both a little bit more deliberate at this point in their career and and all of that. So you know, I I think that the you know we talked earlier about Lou trade minutes. I think what we'll see in, in investment going on is Nate at least trying Lou and Gallo kind of really driving that second unit um, uh, when we get down to um, the end of the season and into the playoffs because they the way that, that he wants to basically reduce the number of possessions that occur while Trey is out um, as one goal and then, you know, have good minutes uh, as, as another goal, um, being able to kind of run the stuff that Lou and Gallo can run. And, you know, they're mentally and through their experience, they can handle something that has a second action, third action, a fourth action. And, you know, where your younger guys might not, you know, follow that all the way through just because of lack of reps and experience and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's, what a what a fun team! So many different paths as any individual game can take. I remember, you know, growing up rooting for Hawks teams that were, you know, kind of maybe good top heavy teams, but the game had to take almost one path <laughs> for them to get an opportunity to win the game. It's so nice to be pulling for a team that can react to so many different situations and scenarios and, and have the depth to kind of throw at that. And you know, it's uh, you know, it's funny to think that. A couple seasons ago, Lou was playing a million minutes for the Clippers going up against the Warriors. And, and it was a, you know, certainly like, yeah, Lou and Montrez kind of keeping the Clippers in games against the Warriors. And, and that Clippers team had to play Lou like 37 minutes in the postseason. And this Hawks team doesn't need anything remotely close to that from him, you know. Um, right. So it's just it's just kind of funny to see how, how those things develop and, uh, you know, yeah. 
credit to Travis for putting together a roster that has the depth and the configurability it has. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, maybe we can do this again soon if you can catch your deep, you can take a deep breath anytime in the next 14 days. Yeah, on their two off days they have in the next three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill, lots to talk about, I think. So happy to hop back on whenever it works out. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.